Tonight for the 9th District House Representative seat and our pre-debate dialogue with candidates. Uh, my name is Beth Perdue. I'm the editor of the Standard Times. Um, this event is being put on by the South Coast Alliance, a group of about 10 organizations that comes together occasionally to put important, uh, primarily political events on in the region. Our goal tonight is to offer South Coast voters a local forum where candidates discuss issues important to the New Bedford area and the greater region. I'd like to thank each member of the South Coast Alliance for their civic commitment and for making tonight happen. Our Alliance partners are the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth and its Public Policy Center, Bristol Community College, the Community Foundation of Southeastern Massachusetts, Leadership South Coast, WBSM, the South Coast Chamber of Commerce, the Bristol County Chamber of Commerce, the Zyterian Performing Arts Center, the Fall River Herald News, and South Coast Media Group in the Standard Times. We'll start tonight with conversations with Jane Gonzalez, candidate for governor of Massachusetts, and Representative Jeff Deal, candidate for US Senate. Both candidates were gracious in accepting our invitation to be here tonight. Their incumbent opponents, Governor Char Charlie Baker and Senator Elizabeth Warren, declined to attend. I'd like to begin tonight by introducing our moderator, Dr. Shannon Jenkins. Dr. Jenkins is a professor of political science at UMass Dartmouth and chair of their political science de department, and uh, she will lead our debate tonight. Thank you. few questions. I just want to briefly review the format of the pre-debate forum with you and the rules so you're sort of aware of what's, how we're going to do this. Um, the questions that are put to all of the candidates tonight were developed by the South Coast Alliance. As Beth said, they focus on state and local issues and also some national issues um, where appropriate. Um, each of the candidates is going to be given the opportunity to make a two-minute opening statement and a one-minute closing statement. Um, after Mr. Gonzalez does his opening statement here, we'll go through some questions and he'll be given all of the candidates two minutes to respond to that question. Um, I retain the right at the end of that question to ask a follow-up or a yes or no question to make sure that question was answered. Um, we have two timekeepers in the front row and they're going to provide a warning um, when there's 30 seconds left, 10 seconds left, and then stop. Um, for the audience, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to turn off or silence all your cell phones, electronic devices, those sorts of things before we get started. Um, and I ask the audience to remain respectful of this process. We're here to learn about where these candidates stand on the issues that are important to voters. So let's not distract from that. As such, and given that our time is limited, I'm going to ask that the audience refrain from expressions of support or disagreement throughout the debate. I know we all care passionately about this district, this area, and these issues. Uh, but the more time we spend dealing with issues of the question, the less time we have to hear from the candidates. Um, so with that, I'd just like to welcome the Democratic nominee for governor, Jay Gonzalez. Two minutes, two minutes, I'm going to give you two minutes for your opening statement here, and then we'll go through some questions and two minutes for your questions. So the floor is open to you for your two-minute opening statement. Great, thank you. Hello, South Coast. It's great to be here with you. Um, I'm Jay Gonzalez, the Democratic nominee for governor. With Donald Trump taking us backwards every single day, I think it's more important than ever that we've got real leadership right here in Massachusetts. And we don't have that right now. 
Charlie Baker's a status quo, wait and see governor. He's done nothing to help regular people get ahead. And as a result, we are all falling behind. I don't think it's good enough to simply accept the world the way it exists and try to manage it better. We need a governor who's gonna see the way the world should be and take us to that place. Let's aim high. Let's aim high, let's be who we are. When I'm your governor, we are gonna aim high. We're gonna aim high by investing an additional $3 billion each year in education and transportation, and we're gonna do it by asking the wealthy to pay their fair share. We're gonna do it to give every child and family in this state access to high quality, affordable childcare and preschool, to fully fund our public schools so that every child has access to a great public education, to make our public universities and community colleges affordable and debt-free, and yes, to fix our broken transportation system across this entire state so that people can actually depend on it to get to work on time. We'll aim high for more affordable housing. We'll be more aggressive in fighting the opioid crisis. We'll be a leader in taking on climate change. And we will deliver a single-payer healthcare system that is simpler, cheaper, and does a better job keeping people healthy. This is a former health insurance CEO telling you we need to get rid of health insurance companies. And when I'm governor, we will. And most important, most important, we will aim high when it comes to how we treat people. I will stand up for every single person in this state. I will see you and hear you and respect you. And while I will operate from the head, I will lead from the heart. I want to thank you again for having me. The last thing I want to say is I want to be the governor of the whole state. And I will be the governor of the whole state. Thank you very much. opportunities to expand on some of the uh, things that you talked about um, here. We're going to start with education because that's a, a big issue um, here. And the question is, was, do all Massachusetts kids in cities like Fall River and New Bedford have the same access to quality education as suburban communities like Newton and Belmont? Um, what would you do to ensure quality of educational opportunity in the Commonwealth? And what, what would you do differently than we're doing now? So today they don't, and they should. The most fundamental responsibility we have collectively through government is to ensure that every single child has access to a great public education. And one of the things that we are not doing that we need to is to ensure that all of our schools have the resources we need to, to live up to that obligation. There are huge disparities in funding. Places like Lexington and Wellesley can raise their property taxes to make sure there are sufficient resources and places like New Bedford and Fall River need help from state government. So I actually have a plan to raise $3 billion each year from the wealthy for education and transportation so that we fully fund our public schools and fix our foundation formula so we're adequately funding districts like New Bedford and Fall River. Charlie Baker has zero plan. No plan to raise additional funding and to fully fund our public schools, and that's a big difference between us. All right, so our next question you also referred to in your opening statement is about um, health insurance. Um, Massachusetts has led the way in offering health insurance for all. Um, in your opinion, what's sort of the status of health insurance in the healthcare industry, healthcare costs in the Commonwealth, um, and what would you do to sort of keep us on the leading edge of healthcare innovation? So, I believe that access to good quality healthcare is a fundamental human right. 
that everyone deserves access to the healthcare services they need to be as healthy as they can be. And if you believe that too, the system we have today is not your system because we don't have equal access to healthcare. And our system is way too complicated for people to navigate. It's too expensive. Health insurance coverage today doesn't even feel like health insurance coverage anymore. With all the premium increases and co-pays and deductibles, can't go to this doctor, can't go to that hospital. Uh, and the quality of care isn't as good as it should be. So I really believe if we go to a single-payer healthcare system that is simpler, cheaper, does a better job keeping people healthy and ensures everybody has access to the healthcare services they need, that we can deliver a system that works better for people. And I am not in this to manage the status quo, to continue to put band-aids on a healthcare system that has gaping wounds and is not financially sustainable and isn't working for people. I know going to a single-payer healthcare system is going to be hard. And it's not something we're going to be able to do in five minutes. This is 20% of our economy. We need to do it thoughtfully. But if we've got the right leadership and we do it thoughtfully, we can get to a system that has the outcomes that I described and will work better for people across this state. And I believe in our potential to do it. We're Massachusetts. We take great pride in our being able to take on big challenges and overcome them. And we take pride in the healthcare industry for being a progressive uh, healthcare system here in Massachusetts. We were the first in the nation to make access to health insurance coverage nearly universal. We can do this if we've got the leadership and the will to do it, and we can't afford not to, in my view. Thank you. All right, so question number three. I think we're hitting like maybe everything that you said in your opening statement, because next we're talking about right. opioids, right? Um, so opioid overdoses continue at alarming rates in this region and also in this state. Um, the current administration has taken some steps to address this crisis. What would you do differently, or how would you expand on those efforts? Yeah, so I want to say I appreciate the fact that Governor Baker has made this issue a priority. I hear about it not only on the South Coast, but everywhere across the state. I have two campaign volunteers who, in the last seven or eight months, each lost a son to opioid overdose. Uh, this is ruining people's lives all across the state. But I do believe we need to be more aggressive than the current administration is being. Uh, we aren't seeing the results. The first six months of this year, more opioid overdoses than the first six months of last year. If you look at the underlying data, addiction continues to rage on and on and on in this state. So here's what I would do. Be much more aggressive in investing in, in the additional treatment resources we need. One of the young men uh, who was the son of one of my vol volunteers who died, I got to know him uh, before he died. There was a point at which he wanted to get treatment and he was told he'd have to wait 15 days. This was at a facility in Fall River. They didn't have the capacity to take them. That's a problem. So we need to invest in more treatment resources. We need to stop treating people who are addicted like criminals. Charlie Baker keeps sending people who are civilly committed for treatment, didn't commit a crime, civilly committed, to a Department of Corrections facility in Plymouth where they're overseen by corrections officials and not getting the treatment they need. I will end that. Uh, I think we need to try new things. I support trying safe injection sites, which have worked in other, other countries, to keep people alive and to connect them to the treatment they need. I think we should try things like covering medical marijuana as an alternative pain management therapy to these addictive pills. 
So there's a lot we need to do. We need to be more aggressive to take on the crisis and deal with it in a way that it, the crisis demands. And right now, we're not being aggressive enough and we're not getting the results we need. Thank you. We're going to move on to a slightly different topic, and that's um, arts programs down here on the South Coast. Uh, New Bedford and Fall River have enjoyed a renaissance um, through investments in art programs and venues like AHA, the NARAS, and uh, the Satirian Performing Arts Centers. Um, such programs have flourished because of public investment um, from both local and state government. Um, what role for the state do you see in supporting these sorts of programs, and what sorts of commitments can you offer to the arts programming? Yeah, I want to say I've been to the Zyterian, and um, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in New Bedford and on the South Coast, and arts is a, is a big part of it. And it's a huge part of our economy in Massachusetts, in some areas in particular. And government does play a role. Um, you're asking the question, was reminding me, I was at a, a, a forum recently hosted by Mass Creative on this very topic, which was another forum where I was standing next to an open podium that the governor did not come to. He continues to attempt to cut funding for the Mass uh, Cultural Council, and the legislature keeps putting it back. I will invest in the arts. It's important to our economy. It gives life to our communities. Uh, and it is a reflection of who we are. So this is important to us as a culture and as a society. Um, I will increase funding both for the Mass Cultural Council and also for the Cultural Facilities Fund, which helps uh, provide funding for capital investments. Um, I, I, the Zyterian may have been a beneficiary of the, of the Cultural Facilities Fund. I don't know for sure. But it's important that we make these investments in our community. It's, it's short money in the grand scheme of the state budget, and it should be more of a priority than it is right now. Okay, another important local issue, and that's commercial fishing. Um, can you talk about right, the importance of the commercial fishing industry to the Massachusetts economy, how you would support it, and how you would remove, remove barriers to, to fishermen earning and women earning their livelihoods? Yeah, so this is a critical industry for this region, as you all, I'm sure, know. I think it's something like 7,000 uh, jobs in the fishing industry here um, resulting from the New Bedford Port. Uh, so this is huge. And I want to be a governor who is a partner to the fishing industry and is supportive of it. I know there's a lot that we don't control at the federal level, but the fishing industry deserves a governor who is going to speak out and stand up and advocate for them. And I will be that governor. It is, it is critical, not only to the workforce here, uh, but it is critical to our broader economy. And you know, to that point, the port itself is a huge asset for this region, not just for the fishing industry, but for offshore wind, which I'm hoping we might talk about a little bit as well. Um, there are huge opportunities to develop uh, the port and really take advantage of and maximize uh, the incredible asset that it provides to this region. And I want to be, as governor, a partner to the local leaders here, uh, to the local industry here, in figuring out how we leverage state resources and assistance and the governor's office to help maximize the opportunities for the fishing industry and for the region. Go a little bit out of order here because you touched on it in my order of questions about offshore wind. We'll jump right down to that since you um, mentioned that. I mean, it does have it, it has huge potential for Massachusetts 
um, in the entire East Coast, but also particularly down here in the South Coast. Um, has Massachusetts done enough to ensure the state's leadership on offshore wind, and what do you see in the future of wind in this state, in this region of the state, and what will you do as governor to help promote that? The answer is no. The state under the Baker administration has not been doing enough. Uh, we need to accelerate our transition to renewable energy sources. Climate change is a huge issue. And we just saw from this UN report that it's a bigger threat and a more urgent threat than we thought. So we need to be doing everything we can to develop renewable energy sources right here in Massachusetts. And our number one opportunity for doing that is offshore wind. We can be the, people have said we could be the Sahara Desert of offshore wind. Uh, and we could literally lead the nation. So we need to accelerate our development of offshore wind. We also need to make sure that we are doing it in a way that's benefiting the region. The developer that was chosen through this procurement scored worst on commitment to locating here and developing jobs right here in New Bedford and in this region. And that's a problem because we not only need to be aggressive in taking on the threat that climate change poses by developing renewable energy sources here, we need to be intentional about taking taking advantage of the opportunity to create thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs right here in the South Coast and throughout this state in what is likely to be one of the fastest growing industries in the world over the next couple of decades. We could be and should be a world leader in renewable energy and New Bedford and the South Coast can and should be a leader in offshore wind. And if I'm governor, we will be. And I want to say, in the Patrick administration, we were thinking that way. I developed the finance plan for the state terminal at the pier to provide the launching pad for offshore wind. It was a $100 million investment, and a lot of people criticized us for it at the time. Well, now it is providing the launching pad for the industry that we need, and it's because of that foresight and that investment that we are in the position we are in to make New Bedford and this region a leader. Let's continue on the subject of climate change, um, and let's talk about it from the aspect not of sort of economic development, but um, sort of climate change resilience. Um, the question is written is, do you believe climate change exists? I think you've already re answered that question. So I'd like to focus on how you'd address the is issue for Massachusetts, particularly down here in coastal communities, um, in developing a climate resilience plans and, and the investment that's going to be required to prepare ourselves for those changes. Yeah, so this is a huge issue. As I, as I mentioned, this UN report that just came out shows that um, this is a much more urgent threat uh, than we thought. Catastrophic projections in the very near term. Even the, the experts who've been looking at Massachusetts, looking at sea level rise and, and other potential impacts in the very near term is scary. We've already been feeling the impacts uh, and this region and our entire coast is particularly vulnerable. So we've got to be intentional about this. We need to have a sense of urgency. We need a statewide plan for how we're going to deal with the impacts, uh, an adaptation strategy for the entire state that is developed in collaboration with leaders in this region. And we need to execute against the plan. And that is going to take resources. We gotta be honest about that. Uh, we're gonna have to start to dedicate 
a significant portion of the state's capital budget to investments to protect our property and our people in the best way we can. This is real. So um, this is a huge priority of mine, not only accelerating our transition renewable energy sources to get to a true clean energy economy as quickly as possible, but also dealing with the impacts of climate change that we gotta get serious about and taking advantage of the opportunity to create thousands of jobs in this region and in this state. Excellent. So um, we're, we're, we've been touching on the issue of um, economic development. So the next question really focuses on that very specifically down here in Fall River, New Bedford. Um, what approach would you take to rebuilding manufacturing and the economy in cities like uh, Fall River and New Bedford? And how would you encourage new industries to locate in the region? Um, new industries with good jobs, I might add. And what kind of industries might you see uh, trying to attract down to this region? Yeah, so every region of our state is different, right? We've, it's got different challenges and different opportunities. The South Coast has a lot of incredible opportunities. As I mentioned, the port is a critical asset. The state needs to be a partner in collaborating with local leaders to uh, develop a strategic plan, economic development plan, that's gonna build on these assets like the port, and the state needs to be a partner in uh, coordinating the different resources and buckets of funding uh, that it has in various different parts of state government, all in one direction in collaboration with the local leaders uh, to make investments that are gonna help take advantage of those assets like the port, like uh, creating thousands of jobs in, offshore, in the offshore wind industry right here in Massachusetts. Um, so we need to be intentional about it. What I would be doing as governor is creating uh, a common strategic economic development plan with the South Coast region and with each different region of the state in order to take advantage of those opportunities and address the challenges. Bigger picture, I think the most important thing state government can do to help drive economic growth all across this state, including this region, is to do the things that state government is supposed to do well. Have a great transportation system. It's fundamental to supporting strong economic growth. Businesses aren't gonna to wanna to be here or invest here if their workforce can't get to work on time. Investments like South Coast Rail, which I wanna do in the way that we should be doing it. The most direct route through Stoughton, electrified, the fastest route that actually provides the biggest economic bang for this region. Not asking you to take a half loaf and have to settle for a route that takes longer and saying we're gonna to get to the real route at some point down the road, which is not true. And I actually have a plan to raise $3 billion in part to make critical investments like this in South Coast Rail and in other transportation investments Whereas Governor Baker has not yet said how he's gonna pay for his half-loaf plan. You shouldn't accept that. I'm gonna let you keep going on that. My next question is about transportation and South Coast Rail. So why don't you continue on and talk about your plans for transportation in a little bit more depth if you'd like. Yeah, so, so Governor Baker's whole approach on this is um, fundamentally no more money. We're just gonna have to do the best we can, we, we, we can with what we have. No more taxes. And what that translates into is he has repeatedly tried to cut funding for regional transit authorities that are critical to uh, gateway cities and regional economies like the South Coast. He has reduced investment in road and bridge programs where we have 
Uh, we're 45th in the country when it comes to the condition of our infrastructure. And he's only focused on the T, and he, he says he's going to fix the T in 15 years, which is ridiculous and totally unacceptable, and he hasn't said I was going to pay for that. He hasn't told you how he's going to pay for his half-baked, uh, half-loaf, you-have-to-settle South Coast Rail plan. $800 million, he says the cost is that he hasn't said how he's going to pay for it. I have a plan to raise $3 billion from the wealthy to make critical investments in transportation so that we are investing in regional transit authorities. We are fixing our roads and bridges in this region, and we are going to get you South Coast Rail in the way that you deserve it. Okay, so we're just about out of time, but I have one question left, so I'm going to ask you to answer this one briefly in just a minute. It's a little bit more straightforward, and that's to export, to support expanding charter schools in urban gateway city districts, and why or why not? So unlike Governor Baker, I do not support expanding charter schools. And the reason is that um, I, I support charter schools for what they were originally intended for, which is being incubators and trying new things, and if it worked, um, replicating that in the broader public school system. But our most important responsibility is to ensure that every child has access to a great public education. And creating what is effectively being advocated for as a separate school system within our public school system, where we're creating a competitive dynamic where there are winners and losers, to me, is the wrong approach. There can't be winners and losers in our public education system. Every school needs to be great for every child. And if we are driving toward the expansion of more charter schools, it is sucking resources out of our regular public school systems, and we are failing uh, if you believe the, the charter schools are doing a better job, we're failing all the kids remaining in the regular public schools. And to me, that's not acceptable. So again, I have a plan, unlike Governor Baker, to invest more in our public schools and get them to where they need to be. So they're all great for every child. Great. Thank you so much. And so now we have time for a closing statement. Uh, one minute for your closing statement. You can make your pitch um, to voters why they should support you. Yeah, Great. Well, once again, thank you. I really appreciate all of you taking the time out of your lives to come and engage uh, tonight. It matters. Um, I'm not running to manage the status quo, as I said before. If you want the status quo, if you want a broken transportation system, if you want an education system that's failing too many kids, if you want no leadership in taking on the other big challenges that are holding working families back, then he's your guy. He's your guy. If you want someone who's going to aim high and provide bold leadership to take on those challenges and make a difference for working families across the state, and someone who actually has a plan to do so, then I hope to earn your support. I believe in our potential. I won't accept that it's too hard for us to take on these big challenges and make progress for people. I believe in us. And I want to be a governor that provides the leadership to help us take these on and make a difference in your lives. And I really hope to earn your vote in this election. Thank you very much. Okay, we're just going to take a brief uh, few moments here to get reset, and then we'll start up with the second half of our forum. Because uh, Mr. Deal, Jeff Deal is here and he is um, ready to get started. 
So just a couple reminders for everyone who um, came in while we were talking to um, Jay Gonzalez, right? A two-minute opening statement, and for uh, Mr. Neal, you can take that off, that's fine. Sorry if I switched. You can do whatever you like. There's no one else here with you, so you get to pick which microphone and which stand and all that that you want. So a two-minute opening statement, um, two minutes to respond to the questions, and then a one-minute closing statement. Um, if you came in while we're in, during this forum, I ask you to just, again, check your cell phones, your pagers, electronic devices, um, make sure that they are off. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and get started. And um, thank you for coming, Mr. Deal. We'll give you two minutes for your opening statement. Thank you, Shannon. And thanks to everybody who's here. Um, just so you know, I actually used to work in New Bedford, going out signs, a great, almost fourth generation family business right now. Wonderful, uh, wonderful business that's been a community partner in a lot of things. I think even um, right here at the Whaling Museum, they've been uh, helping out as I teach. Uh, anyway, uh, very proud to be back in New Bedford. And of course, I'm also proud to see Sheriff Hodgson here, someone who has uh, endorsed my race and supportive of me. In fact, tomorrow I'll be announcing the endorsement of the new Bedford Police Department, uh, the 15th law enforcement agency to support and, and endorse my campaign for the U.S. Senate. I just want to make sure that you know two things tonight when you leave here about me and about this race. I will be your full-time senator for the next six years. Let me just repeat that. I will be your full-time senator for the next six years, and the only thing that matters to me is what matters to the people of Massachusetts. That's why in 2014, I was able to work with a grassroots team to lead the repeal of the index gas tax here in Massachusetts. We put $2 billion back in people's pockets when we showed that there was no accountability with the gas tax and where it was going. In uh, 2015, I worked with Evan Falchuk to stand up to the special interest groups that wanted the Olympics to come here. The IOC would have required a $10 billion uh, indemnity by the taxpayers of Massachusetts. We stood up to make sure that wasn't gonna happen. And I also wanna make sure you know I'm gonna stop the poisonous politics that's infected Washington, D.C. right now. Um, and the obstructionism that's really been uh, led by my opponent, uh, who's currently the state's uh, U.S. Senator. I've spent more than a year on this campaign talking and listening to and not lecturing the people of Massachusetts. I wanna be your voice down in Washington, D.C. And I'm asking for your vote on November 6th. Thank you. All right, so we're gonna go through, I have a series of questions that have been provided to me by the South Coast Alliance, so I'm gonna uh, walk through those and we'll give you two minutes to respond to each question. Um, so the first question is, what approach would you take to rebuilding manufacturers in cities like Fall River, New Bedford? Um, and how would you encourage new industries um, to locate in the region and what kind of industries would you encourage to locate here? Sure, well, right now we're seeing a resurgence in the economy in Massachusetts, the tax reform Bill of 2017 passed by Congress has given uh, the reduction of our federal taxes for corporations uh, from the largest in the industrialized world to something where now those companies are able to reinvest in their businesses, in employees, and in wages. We've seen uh, unemployment in Massachusetts now beating the national unemployment, which is at a 50-year low. We're at 3.6% unemployment. That is fantastic. And we are also seeing uh, wage increases. The most recent report was 2.9%. So what's happening now is we're seeing uh, the economy rebound so that businesses can expand and grow. Uh, down here in the South Coast region, of course, in Fall River, New Bedford, you wanna make sure that we're enjoying the same growth that's happening in Boston. Uh, it's great that GE is relocating headquarters to Boston and the seaport. It's great that MedTech is going to, to Boston and the seaport. But when you come to the South Coast or when you go to Central Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts, 
It feels like we're missing out on a lot of the development. I want to make sure that the economy is strong everywhere and that we incentivize businesses to come down and enjoy the workforce that's, that's here. You've got a strong vocational, uh, regional vocational school that's uh, putting out a lot of great people to work in the workforce. I would think we need to make sure our colleges are also more aligned in making sure that uh, the jobs are being offered are in alignment with uh, who's graduating. Uh, but again, we've also got a fishing industry that I, I think we may hopefully follow up on, a fishing industry that is struggling uh, with the Sector 9 ground fishing, uh, not being out there uh, because federal licenses haven't been transferred. I want to make sure that the existing businesses in New Bedford are able to succeed. You know, you've got uh, Raiders Net Manufacturer. I, I went out to their location, looked at the work they're doing to try to make sure that they keep their employees working, and it's tough. When you've got uh, 10 months plus of fishing boats not going out and being able to catch their, uh, their fish, uh, all the subsidiary industries, the processing plants, the ice manufacturers, the, the net manufacturers, they're not getting the work they need to keep their people employed. So I'm hoping that we can also expand on helping existing businesses. Sure, why don't we, uh, we'll go out of order and just sort of follow up in there. So I do have a question about the fishing industry. We'll take that one up now. Um, the fishing industry is facing multiple threats through regulation and the rise of competing marine-based industries. How would you help support New Bedford's economically vibrant commercial fishing base and help ground fishermen and women and scalpers to stay active or work again? Right. Well, you know, I also have a website with a plan that shows you my detailed uh, uh, plan to help the fishing industry. Specifically, again, mentioning uh, the ground fishing sector nine. We need to make sure that those federal licenses are transferred. I know that the city council has asked four times in a letter to my opponent to please intercede and try to get NOAA to move those fishing licenses over to a ready buyer so that those fleets can get back out and uh, start working again. I mean, this is the most valuable port in the United States, and we need to make sure that uh, the ground fishing, which is really a 12-month out-of-the-year uh, operation, uh, is, is successful. It's great that the scallops have had a, a really strong year, but we need to make sure that the ground fishing, which provides year-round jobs, uh, is supported as well. Um, so, you know, I think there's that. There's the Magnus and Stevens Act, which passed the House down in Washington recently. The only vote from Massachusetts was actually um, Stephen Lynch, Congressman Lynch, because he knows what it's like for working folks to um, need to get out there and, and do their jobs. And I think the Magnus and Stevens update, which allows our local courts to be, have more of a voice in what the catch limits are going to be, is important. Uh, and I think that it's, it's good for New Bedford, it's good for Gloucester and uh, Hull, where there's lobstermen. I think we need to make sure the Magnus and Stevens Act uh, is updated in favor of giving more local control to the fishing industry. Great, thank you. Um, let's continue on those lines of um, sort of the, the coast and talk about offshore wind. Um, offshore wind has huge potential for Massachusetts and the entire East Coast. Um, how would you support the industry's growth in Massachusetts, and what do you see as the future of wind in the state and region? I think wind is a huge future. I think the fact that Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant is about to shut down in the next year, 19% of our state's energy is about to go away. We're going to need to find replacements, and uh, sustainable energy is the future. Of course, um, hydro, solar are important, but Right here in New Bedford, there is the uh, Vineyard Wind Project that I think is important. However, we need to make sure that the wind project does work in harmony with the fishing industry. We don't site uh, the, the turbines in areas that may uh, affect the fishing industry as well. But at the same time, I think uh, the governor and uh, the legislature has just recently passed, including myself, I am a state representative currently, passed legislation that has taken a strong uh, move forward in committing to more wind turbines and the energy produced there. And I think it's a great move forward. It's, uh, it's a strong move for our country, it's a strong move for our state, and specifically New Bedford and having that project right here. 
So I'm going to do a one-minute follow-up on this. You talked a little bit about your role as a, as a current state representative in promoting that. What do you see as the role of the federal government, which is where you'd be serving, um, in promoting uh, offshore wind in this region? Well, obviously, energy as a country is important. And one of the things, too, is that losing Pilgrim Nuclear is going to have an effect on energy costs in the state, no matter how you slice it. Energy costs that affect whether it's home heating oil or whether it's um, manufacturing and, and their costs. We need to make sure that we're producing as much energy as possible so that we don't have a supply and demand problem where the supply is low and the demand ends up creating higher costs. So that's why I think we have to make sure that we're um, using all of the above for energy. And I think the, uh, the role as a, uh, as a federal legislator is to make sure that the country, uh, the United States, is producing energy and obtaining energy at the most efficient cost so that Massachusetts uh, isn't having our costs driven up. And I think it's great. The country right now is pushing towards energy independence, uh, and I think that's going to help us economically and be able to keep Massachusetts energy affordable. Okay. Next question. What is your philosophy on how infrastructure, including commuter rail, should be financed? Um, is there a role for the federal government here, um, or do you see this as primarily um, a state government responsibility, or do you see privatization of infrastructure as the way to go? You know, I think a private partnership may be one of the ways that we try to achieve rail. Um, you know, it's funny, my opponent uh, talks about how there was a video that came out in 2012 when she ran it where she said, you know, you didn't build that. You didn't build that business. It was government that built the roads. I live in Whitman, home of the Toll House Cookie, and the Toll House Cookie is named after a toll house where a private family took care of a section of road uh, privately. You know, it was uh, the private sector that I think helped build this state, build this country, whether it was the textile mills in Lowell, the uh, shoe factories in Brockton, the machine shops in Springfield, whether it's the fishing industry of New Bedford, it was the private hospitals, the private schools well before Horace Mann uh, invented the public school system that uh, you know made this, this state and this country grow. So I think that there is a role for private industry to have in transportation. Of course, in 2014, I led the repeal of the index gas tax in Massachusetts. One of the things that I found during that was that 50% of the gas tax goes to fund the MBTA. Well, that's, that's good. Um, but it's also, we found out there was $6 billion of deferred maintenance for the T. That money needed to be spent to make sure our, our rail lines were being maintained. So I do think that it's good to expand rail uh, where we can, but at the same time, we need to make sure we're uh, upgrading or at least keeping uh, in good condition the current rail system that we have. To have $6 billion in deferred maintenance uh, was really a crime. That's what ultimately caused that 2015 shutdown in February when the blizzard hit. Uh, we, need to, we need to invest in current rail before we invest in new rail, but I do think that ultimately the federal government will have a role in, there's a transportation bill being teed up in Congress right now. I want to make sure that I have a voice down in Washington uh, to make sure Massachusetts gets those funds that my opponent, frankly, I don't think will. I anticipate the Senate will remain in Republican control. I believe that uh, my relationship with the White House gives me a chance to advocate for Massachusetts in a way that Senator Warren can't. Okay, um, let me do a, just a quick follow-up here, because you did say um, you'd like to focus the funding on um, uh, backlog as opposed to new. You got to, you come down to the South Coast, you got to talk about the South Coast Rail. Sure. So just a quick minute, one minute follow-up. Do you support the expansion of uh, South Coast Rail? I just want to make, give you the opportunity to clarify. Sure, I, I'm not saying it's one or the other. I think okay. you have to make sure you're doing both. Yeah. You know, before you invest in new, make sure the old is working, but I think you know both can be done in partnership. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so let's move on to the next question. Um, you'll see if you were here for the audience, these are, um, they're all drawn from the same sort of school. So you'll hear some recurring themes that we're giving to all of our candidates. Um, New Bedford and Fall River have enjoyed a renaissance in inner city life through the investment in arts programs and venues like AHA, the Narrows, and the Zaterian Performing Arts Center. 
Um, such programs have come about because of public investment. Um, what role do you see for the federal government in these sorts of programs and in the arts more generally? Yeah, I think the National Institute of the Arts is important. My wife and I actually own a performing arts school in the town of Hanson. Uh, my wife and I met in New York City. She had just done a Broadway show when we met on a blind date. And um, we ended up going to LA for a few years to see if she could do TV and film. So we love the arts. I actually uh, helped her in the studio that we have had now for 17 years. Um, we put our life savings into it. We worked really hard to build it up. Six years ago, we were able to build uh, a new building in, our, in the town of Hanson to specifically be dedicated to teaching dance and acting and voice. So we are certainly advocates for the arts and we certainly support the arts as well. I know $18 million in Massachusetts is spent on the Cultural Council to make sure that there are grants around the state. Uh, I think that's wonderful and of course I've been supportive of that as a state legislator. I look forward to continuing to support the arts uh, across the state and of all the great uh, things that are happening here in New Bedford as well. Okay, great, thank you. All right, so our next question is um, about education. Um, do you support expanding charter schools in urban gateway city districts and why? Um, and how would you uh, support funding for public education um, in general and create equality of opportunity? Well, of course, uh, I am a supporter of charter schools, but I also believe that there should be a cap. And you know, we've had a, a raise in the cap, you know, not too long ago. Uh, I do see that um, it is tough to see funds diverted from public schools. When I first ran for office, I was on the finance committee in the town of Whitman, and I was specifically the liaison to the Whitman Hanson Regional School. And I was seeing how the state wasn't fully committed to funding some of the things we needed, transportation uh, reimbursements, uh, obviously healthcare costs for our teachers at the time was going through the roof, and special needs education was also something that was very difficult. Uh, the state representative I defeated to win my seat was the vice chair of education. He had voted to adopt Common Core with zero hearings. I thought that was a step back for Massachusetts education. I do see charter schools as a chance for someone to um, have a choice in education beyond their zip code. And I also think that creating competition in the marketplace is not always such a bad thing. Um, if charter schools create uh, a situation where maybe better practices are, are instituted, that might help our public schools. But at the same time, the biggest problem I think in Massachusetts has been the inability or indecision of moving forward to revamp Chapter 70 education funds. I have signed on year after year to legislation to try to get the Chapter 70 funding formula changed so that we don't have vocational schools poaching from school districts because, you know, what ends up happening is you've got vocational schools that pull from the regular school district and the cost for a vocational school is, you know, sometimes $4,000 more. That regional school or district school has to end up making the difference. I think we need to break apart how the funding is happening for all the different uh, divisions of schools here in Massachusetts and revamp Chapter 70 to be more fair and equivalent to cities like New Bedford. Okay, you're being really efficient. We have time. So I'm going to ask sorry. you, no, it's great. I'm going to ask for a I keep asking you to expand on these things. This is great sure. to give you an opportunity to, uh, to follow up on some of these things. Um, can you talk about the role, what you see as the role of the federal government? And some of these are very, like, focusing on state issues, so I'm going to ask you to expand. Um, because we're looking to elect you to federal office, what the role of the federal government should be um, in funding public schools in the Commonwealth. Sure. Well, I mean, again, this gets back to, you know, my bigger view of creating an efficient and transparent government, something that I strive to do when I first ran for the state legislature. Um, again, the 2014 ballot question on the gas tax was a lot about the fact that the legislature was going to have a gas tax go up automatically without a vote. You know, you're supposed to have a representative vote, and there was no accountability for the department that was receiving the money. And in the uh, uh, 2015 pushing back on the Olympics, 
I just wanted to make sure that the taxpayer money was getting spent where it was supposed to be spent. And to me, transportation, education, helping our veterans, um, those are some of the key areas that we should be focusing on, education specifically. Now, down in the federal government, I think the same thing can happen. I, I think we need to be more efficient with where our dollars are being spent federally so that we can redirect it back to our states in a way that um, they can use it and specifically where they need it in education. Um, and again, part of this is also making sure that we have an economy that's finally starting to help the, the citizens of our country in Massachusetts. By having the, uh, the economy in the situation we are now with 4.1% GDP, we are seeing um, payroll taxes now refilling Medicaid, refilling Medicare, and making sure that people uh, you know, have the money for healthcare, have the money for retirement, and uh, that's a good thing. I know my opponent wants to undo tax reform. Uh, she's about to repeal it. She has a whole different vision uh, for taxes. She's talking about individuals being taxed at a rate of 50% or more. Uh, look, I think that when government is run efficiently, it's able to provide back to the states those monies needed to fund what we need, whether it's South Coast Rail or whether it's making sure our public schools actually have the dollars to give our teachers the raises they deserve. Thank you. All right, so the next question um, here is, uh, if Democrats gain control of the House right, and or the Senate, um, impeachment may be on the table. Would you support impeachment and why or why not? You know, first of all, my anticipation is that the Senate remains controlled by Republicans. I think the House may or may not go to Democrats. This is the real problem with Washington is we're not talking about issues that help our country, that move us forward. We're talking about trying to basically prevent an administration from doing what they promised to do, uh, create a secure border, have a better economy, help the veterans who serve our country. And look at what's happening internationally. We are seeing countries that were threatening our, our allies around the world, North Korea, finally actually meeting with South Korea, thinking about actually hosting the Olympics, although I don't recommend the cost on that. Um, but we are seeing uh, you know, regions like um, Iran and the sanctions actually having an effect because you don't see terrorism uh, on the scale we were seeing it just a few years ago. Uh, we're having a, a successful administration as far as international relations, renegotiated trade deals like the European Union just came around now. Uh, Mexico and Canada have renegotiated trade deals in favor uh, of the United States. These things are good things happening. Why we need to go backwards and uh, try to mire Washington in the poisonous politics just seems a mistake to me. My time on Beacon Hill has not been trying to make one side or the other look bad. It's been trying to work together. I've had legislation passed in my first year. I've had legislation passed in my last year in office. All because my goal is to make sure that the people of Massachusetts are put first and the politics of destruction are try to get rid of that. All right, so the next question is uh, about climate change. Do you believe climate change exists and is a threat to our quality of life? How would you address this issue for Massachusetts and especially its many coastal communities? Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, there's no doubt that we have an effect on the climate and that we need to do all we can. I'm an Eagle Scout. Uh, I always learned, leave the campground better than you found it. Uh, I'm big into the environment, believe it or not. And uh, the other thing, too, is Climate change has an effect right here in New Bedford. We've seen, and I've talked to the fishermen, we've seen, uh, I guess when these boats are coming in and they're, they've got the catch, or when they're out there uh, taking in their catch, you're getting species that are coming into our shores or into the fishing areas that are, because of the warmer waters, not the target catch. And that has an effect on the fishermen and the, their industry because ultimately, 
the, the species that's brought on board has to be put back in the ocean and that's deducted from what that um, boat can bring in as, for, as far as their catch limit on say cod. And so, you know, it's having an effect directly right now on the fishing industry. We need to make sure we do all we can, again, to get back to more renewable and sustainable energies that don't pollute the environment. But also, Massachusetts has been a leader. In, we've been a part of the REGI agreements, the Regional Gas Emissions Agreements, for years. We have been a leader in making sure our companies are held responsible for not polluting our environment. I think it's been a good step, and I think we can also, for me, going down to Washington, provide that leadership to other states that maybe could do better. Great, I'd like to also follow up on that um, and ask you a little bit to expand not just sort of an economic development, but also um, in sort of resilience for communities. Um, many people down here live on the shore. Um, they're insured by the, the, the uh, federal flood insurance. Um, what can the federal government do to help communities become more resilient to the sorts of storms we're seeing? Well, it's not just seawalls, and it's not just, you know, obviously phasing out Pilgrim Nuclear, which was obviously in a, in a sort of dangerous area if we had a disastrous um, you know, tidal situation. But it's also, um, you know, I think making sure that the funds are available to deal with um, the effects of higher tides or more violent tides. I mean, we just saw, um, and I live up in Whitman, closer to situate Marshfield, those two towns get absolutely battered by the, uh, the recent winter and the storms that came. And, you know, seawalls, they don't hold back everything. And, I think one of the things that we're trying to do as a state is also buy back some of the properties along the coastal area to try to reduce the impact on people's housing and uh, businesses that may be located there. But I, I think in general, again, our focus should be on making sure that the energies that we're using are cleaner. Um, look, I drive a hybrid car, it's wonderful, but uh, and I do my little part where I can. But at the same time, we have to make sure that uh, industry is more efficient with how they use energy and there's a company Schneider Electric up in Andover that's doing an incredible job of creating more efficiencies with how uh, businesses uh, operate with their heating, with their electrical. There's just so many ways that we can help reduce our effect on the climate by better consumption, more efficient consumption of the energy we have. Great. All right, so the next question is about higher education. Uh, what approach would you take to address the crisis in student debt arising from the escalating cost of higher education and to help keep uh, higher education affordable for all? Well, one thing I'd recommend is perhaps we don't have uh, professors get paid $350,000 to teach one course. That might help reduce some of the debt. Uh, but the other thing, too, is, you know, I think if people don't know this, when the Affordable Care Act was put into place, they, the federal government took over student loans. So it's actually the federal government that has our loans. I think that if we go back to trying to privatize loans, we create more competition for those loans, help potentially reduce some of the rate. But the interest rate is not also not the only problem with the cost of education. It's the actual tuition that colleges are paying. And when colleges are getting their loans, when these loans are guaranteed by the federal government, uh, the student or the parent backing that loan may default on it, but that doesn't really affect the college. So the colleges right now have been driving up the cost of education every year with increased tuition. You know, I think that colleges need to be more competitive with what they're providing. I would like to see a system by which colleges are graded or judged on their job placement. You know, instead of graduating people with uh, degrees that aren't usable in the field, that aren't aligned with the, the needs we have in, in the uh, industries out there in Massachusetts, I think colleges need to be held more accountable for what their, you know, the, the degrees that they're graduating people with. And so um, that's one way of making it more affordable, in my opinion, is by helping kids um, get that competition for their loan, make sure that they can get that job when they're out of school, and I think those are ways to help uh, with this crisis. Okay. 
We have one last question here, and this uh, we, we do have time for it. This question was geared more towards uh, the House debate, but I'll ask you um, uh, if, if you would go into the Senate, who will you support as the next uh, majority or minority leader? Um, and what are your priorities in choosing, in choosing who you'll give your support to? You know, it's interesting. Um, I know Mitch McConnell is the current uh, Senate Majority Leader. I have not, uh, I've not committed to having him. I think it's going to be a matter of who is running for that position at the time. Uh, leadership in the legislature. I, you know, I've certainly been involved in the Massachusetts House. We have a minority leader that we vote on. Uh, I think that what needs to happen is members, uh, when you get together, actually put the questions to that to that uh, senator in this case. You know, what are your priorities going to be? And for me. Everything is going to be focused on if his priorities help Massachusetts, help me deliver to Massachusetts what we need, that's going to be who I decide to, to choose as a leader. Then. Excellent. Thank you. So we have um, just a few minutes left, so I will allow you to do, we have a one-minute closing statement now. So the uh, mic is all yours. Great. Well, again, thanks, everybody, for being here and having a chance to listen. Um, look, again, I want to make sure I remind you. I'm planning to be your full-time senator, not a part-time senator, part-time author, part-time presidential candidate like my opponent. And all I'm going to focus on for the next six years, if you give me that opportunity, is what is good for you and Massachusetts. That's what I'll be doing every day for the next six years. It's what I've been doing for the last eight years in the state legislature. I want to make sure, again, that we stop the toxic talk down in Washington that gets nothing done and doesn't benefit anybody. And I'm going to make sure that after I'm elected, I come around and listen to you. You know, I've been to New Bedford many times. I plan to come back many, many more times uh, to hear from you because my best ideas on Beacon Hill come from listening to you. Again, I'm hoping to earn your vote on November 6th or if you're early voting, even sooner. Um, and I just want to thank you very much for being out here today. If you want to go to my website, dealforsenate.com, you can certainly learn more about my specific uh, issues and how I plan to help Massachusetts. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and then we'll get started back up again at 7 o'clock. Thank you.